that you actually had the fortitude to listen to Uncle Biden's uh, full speech on um, why uh, we're doing a really good thing by uh, supplying the weapons that are killing so many people in the Ukraine. What were your thoughts? Well, after I stopped throwing up, I was in pretty good shape. I uh, took notes. (laughs) But uh, no, it was, it was, um, it was, is besides being beyond my imagination of hypocritical remarks, uh, mm-hmm. a compilation of them, and, and he's the type of guy, honest to goodness, that would tell a lie when the truth would serve it better. Um, yes. He just can't. He just he's going to follow his that path, and he's trying to convince people that something about uh, this is something about freedom and democracy and sovereignty of states of and uh, to give billions of dollars to Ukraine to fight against Russia. And I know we've talked about all these different things, but immediately in my brain I went to, okay, let's look at recent history of what we've done about uh, overcoming overcoming duly elected people besides the Ukraine, Ukraine uh, and those like Iran and Iraq. Yeah, it is. Um, it, is Syria. it is stunning. And, of course, one of the challenges of, of all of this is the casualties. The uh, it's not just the Ukrainian Maybe. casualties, uh, and, and they're hard to root for. Uh, it, the more you know about the Ukraine, the less you would uh, uh, tend to favor them. Uh, and the Russian casualties—that's a shame too. But it's the fallout of the sanctions, uh, which, after uh, the mishandling of COVID, to have this kind of impact on food supplies and fuel supplies and economics uh, worldwide, uh, it's just been catastrophic. And there's about 50 countries that are on the verge of of anarchy and chaos uh, as a result of it. And it's a direct result of the stupidity of, of this war where 
the history goes back to 2008, March uh, 31. Um, I don't know if it's March 31 or May 31. I should look that up. Uh, but it's 2008. Uh, George W. Bush announced that his intent and America's intent was to make uh, the Georgian Republic and the Ukraine be part of NATO, which is like uh, telling the, uh, um, the Russians, telling the United States that we've decided to uh, make uh, Cuba and Mexico uh, part of uh, of Russia, and and mm. and not just part of Russia. We're going to make a a military treaty in opposition to the United States in Cuba and Mexico. Uh, no country can tolerate that, uh, and that's what he announced in 2008. Then in 2014. Uh, the United States, and actually in between 2012 and 2014, the United States began to undermine the elected government of the Ukraine and to bribe the Ukraine to become part of the West financially so that they were uh, funded by the IMF as opposed to by the Russians. Uh, the Russians had a means of getting repayment something the Ukrainians uh, were not very good at doing. Um, uh, they don't have a sense of honor in the Ukraine, never have. And so they'd well shown their debt, but the Russians had a pipeline through the Ukraine and could always capitalize on, uh, on taking debt payments out of the, the transit fees. Uh, but that was a devastating blow. And I talked about it vociferously on the radio programs as to, Yes. where that's going to lead, and it's going to lead to a very tragic situation. Uh, and then it was in uh, 2016 that uh, I, the United States, uh, two senior Republican senators, John McCain and Lindsey Graham, went to the Ukraine. You can watch the video. It is um, uh, it's easily uh, searchable and, uh, and available. And they're telling the Ukraine that, that we have a mutual enemy in Russia and that the United States would arm them and fight uh, this war against them uh, until they prevail against Russia. We declared war against Russia. And mm -hmm. before uh, Russia uh, invaded the Ukraine and, and they gave us a year to play the Cuban Missile Crisis and simply say, okay, we won't make the Ukraine part of uh, NATO and we're not going to arm the Ukraine and, and we'll just leave everybody alone. And that would have been it. Uh, the Biden administration decides to blow up in an act of war the uh, Russian uh, pipeline, the Nord Stream pipeline into Germany. Um, very much like uh, in the United States, the, uh, what, would, what the United States would think if Russia went in and, and bombed uh, the uh, Houston refineries. We caused this war. The United States wanted this war. The United States will do everything possible on both sides of the aisle to perpetrate the war, to make certain the war is, doesn't end. And we have sacrificed America's defense by handing over way too many weapons. We've bankrupt the country by squandering hundreds of billions of dollars 
for nothing to make the world less safe. And the Russians know it. They've stated it outright. We put them in a position where they have no other choice. And there are some people beginning to wake up to this. But it, it reminds me of where we were in, uh, in 2001 and 2002. At the time, 99.999% of Americans thought that America was doing the right thing in invading Afghanistan and Iraq. And I was it. I was the only person speaking out on talk radio shows, thousands of them, saying, no, this is going to end badly. Absolute guarantee. This is what's going to happen. We're going to squander blood and coin. Lots of people are going to die. And we're going to make a bad situation worse, manufacture more mm-hmm. terrorists than we kill, and end up giving Iraq to Iran. This is what's going to happen. And we're going to lash out at a, at a manifestation, a symptom, as opposed to the real enemy and never identify the real enemy. So I was the only one. I mean, it was a, yeah. a million to one against the position that I took. And I took that position aggressively on thousands of radio programs. Turned out exactly as I said. To the T. Exactly. Mm-hmm. No variation. And now, starting about, uh, well, starting in, in 2013, 2012, 2013, 2014, I was the first voice saying that this is going to lead to world war, what we're doing in the Ukraine. And, and even before these events materialized that led to outright war and the U.S. fighting a proxy war to bring down Russia, I told the world where it was going to lead. I'm right again. And, and it's probably a million to one again in opposition to this view. But part mm-hmm. of the reason that... Uh, that I can be right and a million others are wrong is that I know how things are going to devolve. Uh, I've read, yeah, with game plan. I've, I've read the future history of the world. And so I'm I'm cognizant of that, but I'm also a student of history and I, and, and I recognize that there's a reason that God said, don't trust your country. Walk away from it. And I recognize also that politics has become as, um, well, as zealous as the most fundamentalist religion. You know, if you're a Trumpite, uh, you will go to the mat for a man who's an obvious narcissist, who's, who's at least half of what he says is, well, it's as dumb as Ezekiel. Crazy. <laughs> And, and if you're a progressive, you have more religious zeal than uh, than a Muslim suicide bomber, and is much smarter. Uh, so that's where the world has come. And so there's so few people that are open-minded and, and open to evidence and reason. But, Kirk, we talked briefly before the program began, and you said you were, are yeah. surprised as to how fast we're headed to uh, total chaos. And, and that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, 
what yeah, the United States has done so belligerently with uh, with COVID, so belligerently with Russia, uh, is going to backfire. Uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, China, Brazil, India, Russia uh, are going to work with some 150 other countries. They're going to pull away from the U.S. dollar being the world's reserve currency. America is going to implode because our currency is nothing but faith, a faith-based instrument. And the faith in that instrument will be lost when it realizes that we can't fund it anymore. It has no credibility. Uh, and we brought this on ourselves. And what we're doing in Russia and with, with the Ukraine to Russia, uh, and people say, you know, I... You're, Everyone thought that Russia would just blow through the Ukraine. It isn't just marvelous how much trouble they're having and, and the oh, feisty Ukrainians, boy, they're really giving it to them. No. The Ukrainians have the best weapons that the United States and Europe can provide. They don't even have to pay for them. Uh, yes, the Russians have great superiority in terms of air power. I mean, it's like 100 to 1. But they can't use them, their planes, because America gave uh, too many missiles to Russia. They can't use their tanks. Why? Because there's too many anti-tank weapons Thank that you. the United States uh, and Europe gave the Ukrainians. And so it's just a slog-out war uh, along the lines of, of uh, the worst battles of World War I and World War II. That's a good analogy. Yeah, and so what's going to happen? I mean, you, you got to be smart enough to recognize that if American weapons kill enough Russians, the Russians are eventually going to make America make America pay for that. And the way they're going to make America pay is a nuclear bomb in one or more cities. That's what's going to happen. And we brought this stupidity in ourselves. I was listening to a uh, uh, recording today of uh, congressional hearings on Twitter. And the congressional hearings on Twitter emerged because of the FBI's interference with Twitter on the um, Hunter uh, Biden laptop. And as it turned out, you know, Hunter Biden's laptop is a... Um, is a cesspool of bad behavior. Uh, and, and had it been known that, and, and proclaimed, uh, it's likely that Trump would have won the last election. And the Washington establishment didn't want that to happen. So the FBI not only paid Twitter uh, to, and also Facebook to squelch any uh, stories about the uh, Hunter laptop, I did one, uh, and my story was simply reading from the mainstream media, and I was banned. And so yeah. they had the bots out there banning anybody that would even talk about it. And it got even worse than that. The congressional hearing has shown that the FBI paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to Twitter, just silent stories, and the FBI had their own offices and employees and a black room within Twitter to control the uh, social media. 
If they had them with Twitter, they had them with Facebook. That the U.S. government is deliberately engaged in the most reprehensible forms of propaganda. They're actually doing far worse than than the U.S. has blamed Russia for doing as it relates to the... Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, the the whole uh, uh, interference in our elections it's uh, it's rather staggering what has uh, what has occurred and that Americans are just collectively being um, uh, played for uh, for fools. I, my wife tells me my numbers are off. It's not just uh, hundreds of thousands; it's millions uh, that the mm-hmm. FBI wow. uh, paid to uh, to Twitter uh, and had literally had their own team embedded within uh, Twitter. Um, we're disgusting. And if your patriotism keeps you from acknowledging that, shame on you. It's going to cost you everything. Yep. It's, so... it's going to cost yeah. you everything. So that's our, hmm. our news uh, for today. Uh, hey, um, the world is devolving. There's only one person to trust. His name is Yahweh. Uh, he is the creator God of the universe. He proved his... Uh, uh, existence through prophecy in the Torah, prophets, and Psalms. Uh, he is enormously credible. Um, he is helpful, uh, approachable, enlightening, emancipating, enriching, and empowering. He is the inspiration behind the prophecies and the announcements that are portrayed in the book of Hosha. We're currently in the fifth chapter. Um, uh, eight and nine were the passages we read as our program came to a close uh, last week. So we're going to pick up on that and move forward from there. Uh, it begins, blow the shofar upon Gilba, the hill, the clarion in Rama, the heights. Signal an alarm and shout for joy, ruah, at Beireth Ewon, the home of trouble. It is the end for you as the other Benjamite. Ephraim, worthless specks of carbon, will be horrified and desolated, which will occur in the day of rebuke and punishment, along with various tribes of Israel who contend and struggle with God. At that time, I will make Yada known to be sure. There is nothing more vital to the mission that we have accepted uh, at Yahweh's request than the shofar, particularly as it relates to Ruah, Teruah. Uh, Teruah is the fifth of seven Moed Mekre. Uh, they begin with Pesach, Matzah, Bakurim. Uh For religious Jews, you know nothing about matzah anymore, or uh, bakurim, uh, you celebrate Passover as if it were a seven-day feast, and it was the uh, beginning and end of all things, and that's just not the case. Passover with matzah is actually counterproductive, uh, and you've relegated matzah to a missing ingredient. Uh, and the purpose of Pesach and matzah, with matzah purging our souls of religious corruption, is that we are uh, in a position to be part of Yahweh's covenant family. This leads to Shabuah, which speaks of our souls being enriched and empowered, enlightened uh, and liberated, 
so that we're in a position to Tarua, which is what we have been called to do. That is to blast out a warning, particularly to Israel, and saying you're continuing to irritate your God and going in the wrong direction, uh, and also to share Yahweh's message, which is that there is a path to him that he can be known. There are conditions of the covenant and benefits as well. Listen to what he has to say. God wants us to not only blow this shofar, make this announcement on the hills and on the heights, but also at the time of trouble. And that is what we're entering now, is a horrible time. And it is a time in which the consequence of Benjamin, the Benjamite, is going to be the most extreme. Uh, The ultimate expression of Benjamin is Christianity. Paul was a Benjamite, uh, and he is the wolf in sheep's clothing, which fits that prophecy. Ephraim is uh, symbolic of the ten tribes that are lost, that were part of Israel. Yahweh is actually calling them home. And they will, as part of his family, have this opportunity to be reconciled with Yahuda, which is the term from which Jew is derived, and then will be reconciled with Yahweh on the day of reconciliations in 6,000 Yah, which is now um, just um, 10 years away. Uh, and that is because the years that were created by uh the Rambam, Mamamides, were moronic. It, they were not based on the Torah. They were based upon his fascination with the Islamic number 19. And he created a, an absolute nightmare of a accounting system. Uh, and it speaks badly of Jews, that they aren't smart enough to recognize that numbering system has no bearing, in fact. If you go back and you've put together a timeline, D, you go back and uh, you find that in 4,000, uh, uh, 4,000 I think. Yeah, years, which is 1968 uh, uh, BCE, almost 6,000 years ago. Uh, yeah, 39. 4,000 years before the fulfillment of Pesach, Matzah, Bukurim, uh, and Shabuah. Uh, Adam and Chawa were uh, exiled from the uh, the garden. And mm-hmm. 2,000 years from that, 40 Yobel is when Abraham and Yishak went to Mount Moriah and uh, performed the dress rehearsal for Pesach and affirmed the conditions of the covenant. And 2,000 years mm-hmm. from that on exactly the same mountain, then same date of the year, on Pesach, Yahweh through Yosha fulfilled Pesach uh, so that we might become immortal. And then his yes. soul went into Sheol the following day. This is year 4000 Yah, which occurred in 33 CE, so that mm-hmm. uh, our souls might be purged of uh, religious and political corruption. If you have, take 40 Yobel 
uh, which is 2,000 years from 33 CE, you come to 2033. And that will be right. your 6,000 Yah. So that on October 2nd, as the sun sets, 6.22 p.m. in Jerusalem, Yahweh will return with Dod to fulfill the most important day on uh, his calendar. Uh, in fact, the most important day in universal history, Kippurim, the day of reconciliation, when Dod, dressed as the, uh, the high priest, will be sprinkling the blood on the mercy seat, the Kippurim of the Ark of the Covenant so that uh, Yisrael and Yahudah uh, together, not only with one another, but with Yahweh, will be forever reconciled. That is where we are. We will then have a thousand years of camping out here on earth with Yahweh as we celebrate the beginning and the eighth day of the Sukkah. That is his promise. That is where we are in terms of the timeline. The end of this is uh, uh, sound self-serving, and yet the last thing we're doing is serving self. Uh, at this time, he says, I will make uh, Yada uh, known to be sure. Yada Aman. Um, I will be known and be acknowledged for being truthful and reliable, dependable and enduring. Uh, Yada is in the Hiffel Perfect which is that God will act to uh, uh, at a certain time uh, to uh, acknowledge and to make known, while Amon is in the Niffel participle as he carries out and receives the benefits of being reliable and highly uh, being reliable in a highly descriptive manner. Um, that's where I really we enjoyed this verse. I, mm-hmm. I said this last week, and so did Kirk. This is not self-serving. It's reassuring. <laughs> we can trust mm-hmm. that Yahweh mm-hmm. said this mm-hmm. would happen yeah. and have confidence, absolute confidence, that you yeah. are, you know, not necessarily being about you, but it is about you, like you said, and, and that's very reassuring to me. Well, since there are no other yadas out there, uh, doing what we're doing, and there are no other coders or, or Anakri or Bashars or Malak out there doing what we're doing. I, you know, you're gonna, and it's we. You're, you're not going to. You can find nothing uh, in the history of humankind that uh, parallels, even comes close to the uh, mm-hmm. the wealth of material at uh, yadayada.com. Yada to know, Yahweh or yeah, the short or the long version, .com, and look at the uh, that bookshelf. Every one of those books available free because we're not self-serving, we're serving you. We know this information. You know, I actually we're looked it for another yada. Yes. There is, there is yeah, no I looked other. around to see if there was one, and there's a rabbinical yeah. site called My Yoda, Yodeya, and it's mm-hmm. totally rabbinical, and they couldn't even agree what yada meant on the site. So that's what you got. Read a book. Well, I can tell you what yada means, uh, which is why I chose it as a uh, a dove de plume uh, 22 years ago is um, Mm -hmm. how long we've been at this. And I chose it at the beginning, uh, uh, partly because of what I was translating here in the the book of Hosha. Um, 
And I like the fact that Hebrew had numerous words for to know and uh, to understand. And that knowing leads to understanding. And that the most popular Hebrew word for knowing means to be familiar with, to acknowledge, to um, uh, come to understand, to appreciate, to be cognizant of, to perceive. It is a relational form of knowing because da'at in Hebrew is empirical knowledge. And yada is relational knowledge. And so there's no more powerful word than yada when it comes to Yahweh. And so it, uh, it seemed like the ultimate um, manifestation of mm-hmm. serving our God to help others become yada Yahweh. Because until you know, you can't understand. And understanding is the most viable commodity in the universe. Absolutely. And so we're here acknowledging our knowledge of Yahweh. And while I happen to love the Hebrew word bien, which means to understand by making connections between things, um, understanding is a long process. And it, it takes years of accumulating knowledge and making the appropriate appropriate connections between things uh, to finally reach the point of understanding. And, you know, a, a good example. I am, uh, oh, I think probably in the fourth review pass of a chapter I'm writing for the book of Ezekiel. It's the first of, uh, of eight chapters of Ezekiel that have to do with uh, uh, the remake of what is supposedly Jerusalem, a remake of the temple, a remake of the allocations of land to Jews, and remake of the, uh, the, Torah, the Torah's Moed Mikre, the invitations to come and meet with God. And it's, uh, wow. it requires a lot of work because of these connections. And it's, it's one of those things where, where there are I think 300 and some odd measurements that were given, just stunning amounts of minutiae. And while most of the minutiae is crazy, I mean, you, you have doorways that are wider than the door jams. Uh, you have uh, uh, adjacent multiple walls that are adjacent. In a future uh, compound for Yahweh's home, you have multiple walls and six massive gates lined with guards. Now, what kind of an idiot when Yahweh returns and we're all family and there is no threat is going to to depict his home with massive walls and guarded gates? <laughs> and so, you know, you're you're dealing with this and you say, you know, I'm it's hard not to get lost in the minutia since there's such an enormous amount of detail. But it's by these interesting connections. Um, like I was uh, struggling with something uh, um, today. I, I was wondering, since Yahweh did this marvelous job of explaining 
all the proportions and the nature of the tabernacle, the tent of the witness. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he not only just gave us the dimensions of it, he said, okay, the courtyard, I want the courtyard to be delineated by curtains. And they're going to be linen curtains. And I want it to be this high and then the sections will be this long. And, uh, and, uh, and then there'll be a draped section of the, uh, of the curtain that you can all go in. You know, I, I'm going to tell you that a curtain isn't even a barrier to a, a moth. So <laughs> this is not a barrier. It's just to, right. to say the area on the other side of this is special. That's all it says. And, and you go from, from that to this monstrosity of Ezekiel that begins with an entire chapter devoted to walls and, and guarded gates. These two do not fit. And then um, the rabbinical community uh, gives Ezekiel a pass for the enormity of his scale and the fact that there's no relationship between the, uh, the tabernacle that Yahweh gave so much detail to and the, this massive structure that is in Israel, or not going to be built in Israel according to Ezekiel. And uh, so one of the struggles I had is, okay, perhaps they're right in saying because the, the original tabernacle was smaller than Solomon's temple, and therefore... Uh, it's okay that the third be bigger than either of the preceding two. That's the rabbinical excuse. And so I said, yeah, I'm not buying that. But so today uh, it was Leah that was uh, uh, looking for something for me, which is that Kings and Chronicles do a marvelous job of explaining the as-built condition of uh, the first temple, which is called Yahweh's house. But it's not like the situation in the Torah where Moses, uh, Yahweh told Moshe, it's going to be these dimensions and it's going to be out of this material and this is going to be its orientation and this is how it's going to be furnished and this is what you're going to do with it. So... In the Torah, Yahweh was explaining all these details in advance of it being built. Right. Because frankly, there's a lot we can learn about those, about our relationship with Yahweh based upon his description. But in the case of the, uh, the house of Yahweh, temple if you will, uh, that was constructed by Solomon, you know, everything appears to be an as-built report. Where is the... Um, the text of Yahweh saying, okay, this is now a permanent building, so we're going to build it on a bigger scale. The footprint will be twice the size. Same ratio, proportions, but twice the size. The height's going to be three times the size. Uh, and uh, where is that? Well, it turns out it's there. You know that Yahweh actually says, uh, uh, Dode actually says, that Yahweh gave him a replica 
a model, and that that Yahweh communicated every minute detail of what he wanted, how it was to be constructed, its proportions, dimensions, the the rooms, Mm -hmm. the use of each room, in writing. In writing. And he gave that to Tote. So what is reported in terms of the as-built condition, that's exactly what God wanted. So anything that differs from that is a non-starter unless there's justification. So what would the justification be of a different home of Yahweh, home of the covenant? Well, there happens to be a great one. A great one. The great one is that by the time that, that Yahweh returns and we will have a, if you will, a third home, there will be no outsiders. There will be no one who's religious, no one who's political, no one who's militaristic. There'll be right. no terrorists. There'll be no threats. Everybody is family. So with everybody being family, access is going to be greater. In other words, there will be no gates. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it with access being greater, it's likely even the walls will be transparent, which they could be if they're made out of light. And so, and the scale, the scale of of, uh, Ezekiel's monstrosity is such that even if you were to approach these guard gates, the scale is so massive, a human would feel insignificant. Well, that's the exact opposite that Yahweh wants. Right. And, the scale of Ezekiel's compound is actually over a mile square. It's larger than the city of Jerusalem. To build it, you would have to flatten and eliminate Moria, Olives, the valleys, the entire city, all of its history. You'd have to bury the original house of Yahweh, and the house of Dode, there would be no city of Dode. Takes out the whole thing. That's incredible. And and so it, this is it's a monster. And, and so one of the advantages of knowing Yahweh is you can look forward and say, all right, it is possible that the home of Yahweh will be different then Yahweh's instructions and the as-built condition uh, pursuant to, uh, <clears throat> to what we call Solomon's Temple. The Ark of yeah, the Covenant is a great, a great example. The Ark of the Covenant isn't needed. After Dode anoints the Ark of the Covenant one last time on Kippurim, the Day of Atonement, on the Mercy Seat, the Seat of Atonement of, of Reconciliations, it serves no purpose from that point on. Why do you need a, uh, a carry-around a box that is for your forgiveness when you have been perfected for all time? Why do you need a box that carries around the, uh, the ten statements when they're going to be written on your heart? Why do you need a box that has the original autograph of the Torah uh, carried beside it when God's going to scribe the entire thing inside of us. Don't need it anymore. 
Well, I think that was yeah. the purpose was to sort of demonstrate that with the tablets inside, right. and that that is the end result that it was demonstrated. You don't need a veil right. between that's, that's uh, the inner analogy. and outer rooms yeah. anymore. Yeah. We have direct access to yeah. Iowa, and so there are things that can be different, but the scale of the building cannot be enormous. It can't be imposing because the whole idea is for us to be more like Yahweh, not to be frightened of him. You know, this can't be like, you know, how dare you, puny human, come up to the great and magnificent Oz. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Go good. Away. Yeah, very that's good. The, yeah. That's the feeling that, uh, of this penitentiary that uh, Ezekiel is making. So it takes this, uh, this I got on this whole thing, because I wanted to explain mm-hmm. the importance of Yada and its transition to be end, to knowing, to understand. I hear, you know, I've been doing this for 22 years, and yet because you have to make the right connections to keep all of this in context, and you can't get right. swallowed up by the details, uh, it takes some doing to communicate the the message, even when it's a rebuke, intelligently. Uh, For those that maybe this is the first time you've listened to this program, it is true. Um, The book of Ezekiel is is holy trash uh, from beginning to end. There's nothing in it that's redeemable or useful. It is the voice of of the Loitan, which is uh, Satan, Hillel bin Shakar is his name. Uh, it reads like the fulfillment of Yashaya 14, which uh, depicts Satan <coughs> rising up in Babylon to uh, not only control the world, but to be worshipped as if he were God. And that is the right. basis of the book of Ezekiel. It is, uh, it is reprehensible in every possible way, and it is uh, a great tragedy that people have been led to believe that that nonsense was uh, was true. The shofar, which is a ram's horn, um, provides a really elegant and boisterous, piercing, almost haunting resonance when uh, it's blown correctly. In our household, I will tell you that, well, I was deployed by Yahweh on Teruah back in uh, 2001. Um, I can't blow it for uh, love nor money. But my little old wife, I tell you what, she can make that thing sing. So maybe you do have to be Jewish to be able to blow it so far. But it is a, uh, it is a magnificent, magnificent uh, instrument. It not only sounds uh, unique and resonates right through your soul, um, it's magnificent as well. Uh, and it was Yahweh's choice of instrument to awaken his people. So he is warning um, Yehuda, particularly those who would turn a deaf ear to the final blast of the shofar on Teruah, which, if you're a Jew, should make you cringe, should make the hair stand up on the back of your neck because you don't even know what Teruah is. Your rabbis and your culture have replaced Teruah with the Babylonian New Year Rosh Hashanah. 
and you think that that is how you usher in your high holy days, and there's nothing holy about any of these things. That's a religious term with pagan roots, and Rosh Hashanah Mm -hmm. is an entirely pagan Babylonian festival. So he's telling you, don't ignore it. A time's going to come where if you ignore it, then you're going to miss Yom Kippurim, and there is no other option after Kippurim. Once Kippurim occurs, you are either with God and have been reconciled to the relationship, or you will spend your eternity either separated from him or your soul will be dissipated to nothingness. Those who do not listen to this warning are going to miss Sukkah, and that is the return to the garden where we get to camp out with our Father. This realization is not only important to those who are listening to this program, uh, but to me as well. As uh, I have said and, uh, and others have shared, I was summoned by Yahweh well, on Teruah, the day of Ruah, to signal this alarm to shout for joy in the fall of 2001. With other troubadours having uh, joined the chorus now, we have begun to taka, trumpet Yahweh's message as Ruah, loudly and as openly as is possible ever since. Throughout this prequel to the last days, we have given equal time to the tragedies and triumphs which await the misled and unsuspecting world. We began tonight, as we typically do, uh, talking about some element in the news that's relevant to our listeners and uh, and to our lives. And we do the same thing that Yahweh does. Yahweh constantly warns us that this is what the world's going to dish out. And if you're not with him, this is what you're going to endure. Because it is a choice. You can choose to be with man or you can choose to be with God. You can't choose to be with both. Yahweh's message has uh, been sounded in Beth Awan, the home of trouble, the house of religious affliction. And in the end, it will bring down the worst of the Benjamites, Shaul Paul, and his religious cult, which is Christianity. I would encourage those who haven't to read the four volumes of Questioning Paul, Liar's Lie, Torahless, devil's advocate, and incredible. I think they're the most important and effective weapons ever wielded at the world's most popular and anti-Semitic religion. Well, it has always been obvious, particularly with Yahweh calling Shaul out by name through his prophet Chabauk Habachuk, calling him the plague of death, it is always reassuring to read Yahweh's concurrence. Christianity will be second after Islam to meet its doom. This is a particularly revealing aspect of this prophecy for Akar, the last days, because with all of Yahweh's animosity directed at Israel, with Benjamin excluded from Ephraim, the wayward tribe will remain unmentioned up to this point. But now we know that the tribe which gave us the two most infamous 
demon-possessed individuals in Yisrael's history, the wannabe King Shaul, Saul, and the wannabe Apostle Shaul, Paul, who will endure a well-deserved fate. I don't think that's something that most people recognize, but King Saul admitted that he was demon-possessed. And the wannabe apostle Paul admitted that uh, Satan had possessed him to control him. Even Muhammad admitted that Mm -hmm. he was demon-possessed. They were telling us the truth something that they didn't do very often, but occasionally when they do, we ought to listen. As a curiosity, a uh, band of prophets met near uh, Gibbeth to appoint Saul king. He was tall. He was handsome. He was a rich man. He fit their criterion for leadership. And it was at Gibbeth that Dode uh, recovered the Ark of the Covenant from Philistine captivity. So it's an interesting place for mm-hmm. Yahweh to say, blow the shofar here on this hill. Ramah is where Yahshua predicted the Assyrians would advance towards Jerusalem. Uh, the Hebrew root even conveys at the height of idolatry. Uh, as we continue to read what God says is in store for his people, the, most, the more it appears that the overwhelming majority of the remnant reconciled by Yahweh on this day will be Yehuda. Ephraim will be desolated in a horrific event, and Benjamin, Benjamin will be no more. There will be a day of uh, tokakoth, of accountability, for 11 of the 12 tribes of Israel. They will be rebuked and disapproved, chided and chastised. Rational arguments will prevail over religious drivel for a change. For far too long, Yahweh has lived up to the negative implications of its name. Yisrael means individuals who contend and struggle with God. The truth will finally be told, and it will hold sway over the lies. Now, recognizing this, the concluding words are both verbs, two verbs in a row. Yada means, as we now know, to know. To make known. It was spoken by God in the Hiffel Perfect. This means that the Almighty is engaging to put Yada into action such that Yada becomes an extension of Yahweh's effort to educate his people. In the Hiffel, not only does the subject enable the object to participate in the action of the verb, which is to know, but that the subject causes the object to serve as an understudy, to be a secondary subject. The conjugation reveals that this will occur at a time of Yahweh's choosing, 
uh, one likely coterminous with the demise of Benjamin and Ephraim. Amon, meaning to be sure, to be certain, to be reliable, to be dependable, to be truthful and enduring, was conveyed in the niffle participle. Now, the niffle stem, and this is important because the more you hear this, mm-hmm. and we've talked about it in a lot of programs. Kirk, I know you've studied it. Do you've studied yeah. the, the stems and the conjugations and the modes? Yes. The more you study it, the richer Hebrew becomes as a language. The uh, Absolutely. better able you are to understand Yahweh's testimony and to dig deep and derive meaning that isn't available to the casual reader. And so the niffle stem uh, is quite different than the hiffle. In the niffle stem, the, uh, the subject of the verb both carries out and receives the action of the verb. So that it would mean that Yahweh is providing Amon certainty, reliability, dependability. And by doing that, he becomes more truthful, dependable, and reliable. Right. So he not only affirms these things, he benefits from them. As a verbal adjective, which is uh, what the participle means, the truth is actively and accurately presented, becoming vivid, demonstrable, robust, um, prolifically depicted. These things, yada, known, and amon, certain. The two verbs juxtaposed with their respective definitions can convey either, at that time, I will make yada known to be sure, or I will be known and acknowledge for being truthful and reliable, dependable and enduring, or perhaps both. There is always a method behind Yahweh's Ruah. And if the former, the purpose is to affirm the latter. So even if there is a difference between the two, they work in harmony. But alas, recognizing neither, Jewish leadership is in for a rough ride. This is what God had to say through one of the most remarkable of prophets, Hosea, uh, some 750 BCE, 2700 to 2800 years ago. The government and religious leaders of Yahudah, the Tsar, the ruling authorities, the highest ranking officials from Sa'ar, those who act, sometimes like royalty, as lords with an assumed mm-hmm. right uh, to claim power for themselves. Sar, by the way, can also be a very positive term. It's used a lot in mm-hmm. conjunction with uh, uh, the service of Dode. When Dode returns as king, he is going to have a Sar, someone whose job it is to, uh, uh, to serve him uh, and to make his responsibility or his time as king and the responsibilities associated more more effectively managed uh, just as Yahweh likes working through people uh, Doe's going to work through uh, a SAR 
So the government and religious leaders of Yahuda are perceived as untrustworthy and disloyal deviants. Before we go on, a, a, a very significant percentage, I think it's 30 to 40 percent now, of uh, Jews in Israel are defined the rabbinic mandate to only be married through the rabbinate, to only be married into uh, into Judaism, if you will. And it's uh, between right close to a third. And polls have been taken here recently, I mentioned in the last uh, program, where um, almost half of Jews in Israel do not trust rabbis. Right. So what God is talking about here is very real, and there's a good reason. They, they're sexual perverts. They're money grubbers. They're uh, stunningly um, aggressive in their intolerance of anyone other than themselves. Uh, there are even ultra- Orthodox Jewish rabbis that will attack other Orthodox Jewish rabbis, and they despise, I mean despise, hate Reformed Jews. They'll go so far as to say that Reformed Jews aren't even Jews. They are dishonest through and through. I will pour out a boundless amount of my righteous indignation and intense displeasure with an outpouring of my wrath upon them as if it were fluid. Like water inundating them. Yet when Yahweh returns, one of the things you can be uh, exceedingly certain of, speaking of Amon, is that God's going to be quite intolerant of those who are religious and political. If you are a high-ranking religious or political person, you're toast. And if you're one of those people who empower them uh, and have conveyed their message uh, and caused others to follow them, you're in trouble. God's righteous indignation and wrath will be upon you. That's a bad thing because he happens to be God. And it's a bad thing because there are no second chances here. There are no tomorrows for these individuals. We're reaching a time in uh, just a matter of a decade, 10 years from now, where there'll be no second chances. No, I'm sorry, let me see if I can do better. It's just over. God's going to return for his family. Those who want to be reconciled will be, uh, and we will spend an eternity together with our Father, um, and we will bid farewell forever to all others. Just as there was no religious influence, no political influence in Eden, there will be none upon Yahweh's return. So Yahweh's animosity is consistently directed toward political and religious leaders. And it even floods down upon the masses 
uh, once they have been corrupted beyond the hope of words and reason. In this case, Sar describes government officials and religious leaders, the authority figures within Yahuda, a Jewish community. It offers the impression that they act like lords, as if they were royals designated by their god to rule. They believe they have the right to impose their will on everyone else, restricting the choices of others. And while God's criticism throughout the the book of Hosea and really throughout all of his prophets is directed at at Jews, at Israel, and Yehudah, that is not to say that he is accepting of Goyim, who are religious and political. Uh, His uh, animosity towards them, though, isn't as shrill. And it's not because their religions or their politics is better. Their religions and politics, in some cases, are worse. Um, I think that Islam is more overtly satanic than is uh, Christianity. And I think Christianity is more overtly satanic than is Judaism. But Yahweh did not reveal his Torah to Christians. Right. He did not liberate Muslims. Nope. He did not speak Arabic or English. (laughs) Not at all. He did not come uh, to Rome or to Mecca. He liberated Yehuda, Jews. He formed his covenant with Abraham, Yishak, and Jacob. He walked across the desert to the promised land with Israel. He revealed himself, his Torah, and everything he had to offer through the covenant and through the Torah to the children of Israel. And so he called them to be set apart, to be different, a people unto himself. And so when they behave badly, when they become religious, it's far more irritating, vastly more so. So that's where we are in all of this, and that's why God is so upset uh, with them. It's not because their religion is worse than Christianity, or their religion is worse than Islam, or their religion is worse than uh, progressive politics. It's because they had every advantage. They were offered so much. And they chose to spit in God's face. It's true. So God's assessment of Jewish political and religious leaders is that they are untrustworthy. He calls them disloyal deviants, which sounds like he must... uh, Know them pretty well. Uh, maybe he, uh, you know, he foresaw what was going to happen with Benjamin Netanyahu, and 
And when I say this, it, it hurts me to say it because Benjamin Netanyahu has the capacity to be a good statesman, to be a good leader. He has at time said the right things as it relates to the fake Estinians. Uh He doesn't know how to say it anymore. This too. You don't go off and you know, recently the United States did something that is exceedingly embarrassing. The United States actually voted in favor of a UN resolution against uh, Israel. Uh, this one for building homes in the, uh, in the supposed West Bank, Judea and Samaria. And uh, Benjamin Netanyahu said, you know, it's, a, it's embarrassed that the United States voted for this uh, because in this resolution there was no mention of, of uh, fake Estonian terrorism. There was no mention of pay for slay. There was uh, no mention that this is our historic uh, homeland. Uh, there is uh, none of that, no mention of how many... Jews they have killed recently or were acting in, uh, in self-defense as we try to uh, forestall terrorism or that all we're doing is building homes. Um, but that's not strong enough. Yeah. Strong enough is to say you all are advocating a two-state solution, which is really no different than the final solution of Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. Right. You're advocating for a people that do not exist. There are no such things as Palestinians. There is no place called Palestine. It is an outright and complete lie. And if you must lie, you don't have anything to advocate. These are people that raise their children to hate and kill Jews. This is not their homeland. It is ours. There will never be a fake Palestinian state. And he can't say it. And he's put the, together what has to be the worst coalition of all time. The, the misfits that are part of this and the religious zeal of, of the fundamentalists and his government, it's, well, it's going to destroy Israel, and it is. It's ripping the country apart. And his predecessor is Levine, is has got to be amongst the worst human beings that I have ever encountered. He's, he's the worst of Jews. He glorifies himself and, uh, and is literally tearing his country apart. Uh, and playing with progressives in Israel, of which there are way too many, um, telling them things like to put the judiciary under the influence of elected officials uh, is uh, destroying democracy. I mean, how could you be so stupid as to fall for that? Right. Uh, I mean, do I think there's undercurrents of judicial reform that are self-serving for Netanyahu and, uh, and others? Absolutely. And, and, and that's a shame. But the fact of the matter is that if the judiciary is completely removed from uh, accountability of the people, which it is now, then it is an undemocratic institution. And so putting it so that there are some controls over it through elected officials is a sensible and democratic thing to do. 
anyway, Israel is, is being ripped apart at a time where the world is almost universally lashing out at Israel and trying to destroy it. And, you know, one of the things I was going to bring up uh, with the stupidity of, uh, of the proxy war with Russia through the Ukraine is that mm-hmm. it cratered any chance the world had to constrain Iran and their building of a bomb. Because the only control, the only influence that we had over the over uh, Iran was through Russia, and by uh, by warring with Russia, um, we put uh, all of that in a situation where the only way to stop them now is to have uh, Israel bomb them, and it's a very very difficult mission, if it even can be done, and uh, it will further isolate Israel. Um, all because of America's mess. So Israel is in a really, really bad spot at the at the moment. Being misled by politics, religion, conspiracy, or patriotism is the surest way to waste one's life, to lose one's soul. But it's not a crime. If you want to be misled, so be it. You know, crawl in your hole. And uh, cover yourself up with like-minded people. But when you speak out and you mislead others, now that is an offense worthy of divine judgment. You, know, you want to be stupid, keep it to yourself. <laughs> Worse, Jewish religious and political leadership has engendered Yahweh's wrath, which he intends to unleash upon them. The torrent of his animosity will flood upon them in mountainous waves of righteous indignation. The very men who claim to speak for God and represent his people are the most displeasing to him. How's that for an irony? But that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult to reach out to and... uh, educate Jewish men and women today. Uh, some 80% between the, the uh, ultra-Orthodox religious and the super-liberal progressives uh, can't be reasoned with. Even God's word isn't going to matter to them. Evidence and reason will matter not to them. Even desperate times are, are not going to matter to them. Ephraim, this worthless speck of carbon ash, has been deceived and defrauded, extorted and oppressed. His competence in exercising good judgment is incapacitated. And his ability to reason is shattered. This is because he is intent on, agreeable to, fixated upon, going after a variety of worthless religious dogmas. Sow. Idolatrous forms of human excrement. Revolting filth. Utter nonsense and unsubstantiated ideas and false gods. Um, And a hyphenated concept, phrase, blah, 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 is what... Saw means. That seems like the kind of word, Kirk, that you would uh, have fun trying to uh, 
<laughs> to analyze. Yeah. I wish I, wish I had. I'd like to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll get it on my list now. Okay. <laughs> stay, stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> it is uh, uh, TS, uh, which is a, uh, yep. a sign yep. and a, uh, a yep. law. Um, mm-hmm. So it is somebody who is uh, steadfast and conveying a message. So uh, the Tassi being a sign and the uh, mm-hmm. the uh, the Wah being a tent peg, somebody who's dug in, uh, displaying mm-hmm. their sign or a uh, or a message, and of course the Wah being in Hebrew in uh, Yahweh's name is going to face away from the uh, mm-hmm. the angle of that sign. So. Uh, uh, somebody reading this uh, material anyway, which is what the religious do all the time. Uh, this is the point that we've been trying to make, that the problem in trying to encourage Israelites and Yehudim to listen to Yahweh, to reject the rabbis, to reject their politicians, to give Yahweh a chance after some 3,000 years of ignoring him, uh, is that they've been so indoctrinated that their ability to exercise good judgment is incapacitated. Yeah. They've been fixated on all the wrong things. Uh, you know, that the, uh, the TASD, uh, and somebody you know, kind of in a prone position reading, um, you look at the ultra-Orthodox they spend their lives reading uh, rabbinical rubbish in the Babylonian Talmud. No wonder they can't think. No wonder they're dressed for their own funeral. Uh, and they're dug in. And you look at the progressives that are marching by the hundreds of thousands uh, in uh, Tel Aviv. They're thoughtless. They're holding their placards. They've got their little signs too and they're and yet they're comatose, uh, incapable of, of reason, of, of thoughtfully understanding the issues that surround them. They're the reason democracy doesn't work. They're just not smart enough. Religious institutions and governments are, are crippling. They're incapacitating. People, institutions, nations, to the point that thinking is debilitated and choices are restricted. It does not matter how much freedom you have if you can't make a good choice. And people are defrauded of their freedom by bad information. Because, you know, what good is it to have God offering everything to you and your religious leader or political leader promising everything when you're not smart enough to differentiate between them? When you've been so uh, tantalized 
by your religious leader and hypnotized by them or spellbound by your political leader that God's voice is drowned out. What good is your freedom if you don't even know what the options are? You don't even know if there is a choice. You think that a Hasidic child decides to be Hasidic? Hardly. Do you think a Roman Catholic child decides that they want to be Roman Catholic? You know, how many children that are raised in progressive families decide, I think I want to be a Trumpite? (laughs) It just doesn't happen. Yeah, it just doesn't happen. How many This is a conversation I had with my dad once. Oh, yes? Same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I told him, I said, you're a Christian because that's what you were taught and your father before you. And I'm just looking and investigating into this. And I presented them the information. He wanted nothing to do with it. And I told him, you're a Christian because that's what you were taught. And I'm choosing to break free. He just can't stand it. Yep. Hey, I was uh, raised in a uh, right-wing Republican family. My father yeah. was an anti-Semite and a racist. And uh, my, uh, my mother was a fundamentalist Christian. And uh, I went to church. I became a uh, a Christian. I um, I uh, uh, was a uh, a right wing uh, Republican. And um, somewhere along the way, I began to ask questions. I got to know politicians personally with business success. I didn't uh, like them very much. I disrespected all of them and. I uh, found out that the people that were most likely to cheat me were religious. And, yes. and I had that experience over no, and over no, again. Yeah. And, yeah. and then I, I uh, um, after you know, being a trained evangelist and a, uh, a Stevens minister and uh, the youngest ordained ruling elder in the history of the Presbyterian Church at the time, I wow. came up with some 20 questions that nobody could answer. And so I just realized this is nonsense why am i devoting my life to things i know are untrue politically religiously and it is very unusual though for someone to do that to break away from their parents in their religion and their politics i became disgusted (laughs) with my father's uh, anti-semitism and his racism i came became disgusted with my my mother's uh, thoughtless and emotional religion. And that's where oh, Yahweh yes, found yes, me. Said it. Yeah, that's where Yahweh found me. I was, had to become an agnostic. I, that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. I had walked away. I, I was probably about where Abraham was. Mm-hmm. Um, having left uh, the religious and political environment of Ur of, uh, of Sumer at the, uh, the time, which became Babylon. Very similar. You know, why was Dode out there in Bethlehem and all of his other brothers were hanging around his father in the, in the more uh, popular areas? Yeah. Why was Moshe not there in Egypt living the high life uh, and the family of Pharaoh and he's out tended sheep and... <laughs> You know, the hinterlands of Arabia. 
because they'd all walked away. They all were disgusted by it. And that's I the kind of person that Yahweh can use. Yeah. I speak to a lot of covenant family on, on the social sites, and it's this common theme with every one of them. They all walked away from their family, religion, politics, mm-hmm. lost siblings, mm-hmm. parents, children. Every one of us has this one thing yeah, I have no common. family to speak to me even. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've all, we've, all of us. And, you know, one of the... Um, the conditions, and in fact, it's one of the elements of the prerequisite for being part of the covenant, is such a surprise to people. We 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 don't even hear it said very often. You know, it begins by walking by asking them to walk away from their country. The country was uh, Ur of the Chaldeans of Babylon, and Babylon is the birthplace of institutionalized religion uh, and its integration into the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a militaristic, patriotic state. God says, walk away from that. Okay? We understand. You want to be in a relationship with Yahweh, you cannot be religious, you cannot be political, you cannot be patriotic or militaristic. But the next part of it is uh, you need to walk away from your culture. And I don't think there's any people who have valued their culture more than do Jews. Even secular Jews are immersed in the culture of being Jewish. That's true. And the third was, and walk away from your father's house. And it would be your father's family. It's Bayeth. Uh, I did, but it was easy for me. Uh, my father was a creep. Just the way it was. I, yeah. I um, was a horrible person. Uh, I was made mine. stronger by having walked away from him. But I did that before I ever knew Yahweh wanted it done, I did it to survive. Um, And it is something that most young men do. Most young men, sometime between 17 uh, and, uh, and 25, break free of their father's influence. They have to kind of set out on their own. They're going to start their own families, their own careers, build their own homes. Somewhere there, there is a break. And, you know, sometimes you can be fortunate, as I am with my uh, youngest son, and you come back together after that break. Uh, but it is something that is an essential rite of passage. And, and the reason Yahweh says you have to walk away from your father's house is because we have this choice. We can be part of the family of man or we can be part of the family of God. The family of God is the covenant. Five conditions, five benefits. The road to it, the path to it, is through the Moed Mikre. It is the only means of life eternal. The only means to enter heaven. It's the only means to develop a relationship with God is through the covenant. Exact same path for Yehudim as for Goyim. And it is this very thing that we're asked to choose between. And God wants us to know the human families are fractured. Uh, we all, even before choosing to be part of Yahweh's covenant and to be Torah observant, um, had problems with our families, all of us. And that Mm -hmm. did we lose him? 
We may have. You might want to give it just a couple of minutes and see if uh, they can reconnect because we're still a little okay. bit early. Yeah. I can see you dropped off. But uh, so it was the same for you, huh, Kirk, with your, your family? Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's, I had separated a long time ago uh, yeah. from most of them. My parents got divorced. I didn't want to be go either place. I was living in Australia at the time, and I, I had no desire to come back to Alabama. Uh, my father would stay in there, and my mother was coming back to uh, – actually, she came back to live with her mother for a while in Mississippi, and I didn't want to go back there because I was uh, – I love Sydney. I was lived there for, right. since I was in sixth grade. I thought I was an Aussie, you know. And uh, so yeah. I went out. And there was only one more year left of school, and that was college prep, the way their system worked. So I quit school and uh, or didn't continue there and, and decided to be a golf pro. And uh, <laughs> I was just starting out two years of apprenticeship. I was starting to get pretty good at it. So I could even shoot under par for a while, and, and uh, then the government wrote me off. Wonderful letter said, uh, you, know, you know, we're under attack, I guess, from the Vietnamese. We All hands on deck, show up. So they made me come back. And then they didn't want me because they had asthma. And I said, well, that's a heck of a deal. So, I, But, I, you know, I've been from that point on, from 16 years on, on I, uh, you know, I was used to living by myself. So I didn't have quite the family attachments that a lot of people do. But, um, so I've been kind of an independent cuss, but I did get into religion because I couldn't find God. I didn't know where to find him. Yeah. You know, that was yeah, the only reason. I had a real motive. Religions and nothing was any good. Yeah. None of it. <laughs> yeah. It's it was pretty disappointing, but yeah. as, it, as it turned out, as it turned out I, I had learned enough that when I first read Yada Yah, I said, my gosh, that's right. I know that's right. I absolutely know that. I've seen that book. Well, I've seen this. I've that. I think I'm back uh, in. Can you hear me? Uh, yay, yay. Yay. Yes, uh, who knows why that uh, disconnected. Well, we almost took over. It was a, I thought a it was my ex uh, trying to uh, get back at me for saying that I had a, uh, a fail. But listen, <laughs> Yahweh does want, uh, wants us to recognize that our family relationships fail in many levels. You look at uh, Dode. Um, uh, Dode had the worst episode of his life when Absalom, his the third-born son, uh, tried a coup and actually wanted to kill his father. And yeah. it was traumatizing. For uh, and his response to it was horrific. Uh, it was the worst moment in his life. Um, and so it, he's not unique in this regard. He was an exceptional man, maybe the greatest man who ever lived, and yet he had problems. His father wasn't particularly supportive. We know nothing of his mother. Right. Doesn't say a lot, does it? Um, no. He, mm-hmm. You don't have eight wives if your first wife was, uh, well, spectacular. You don't have ten concubines if you're happily married. Yeah. All right? He had all sorts mm-hmm. of problems with his kids. And so he is a marvelous example of the fact that in human relationships, things go bad. He did his best to try to work with uh, Solomon. And he knew that Solomon was unprepared for the job. And that he did everything he could to work and to teach him. Uh, And so 
God's saying the human family is going to disappoint you. I'm offering you an eternal family. You can, can help your, your earthly family become part of the eternal family so that they, you can have it all, which is a wonderful relationship with your earthly family because they're part of the covenant family. But if you choose to prioritize your father's house over your heavenly father's house, you will end up disappointed. Right. And that's very much of what uh, God is, uh, is saying here. We, we are given a choice. And if we choose the religious family, if we choose the political family, if we choose our earthly family and those traditions, then we're not going to be with him. So, religion, to the maximum extent possible, but also politics, renders its victims unable to think rationally. They become averse to evidence and are unfazed by reason. Hand a rational and secular Jew the first eight volumes of Yada Yawa, and they're going to grow vehemently opposed to the rabbis. But you could bury the Herodim in these books, and they wouldn't know what hit them. Based upon the correspondence, there is no one the world over who has read the four volumes of Questioning Paul and remained a Christian. But those who are, yeah, but those who are really steeped in their religion. They won't make it through the opening. They won't read it. That's the only way. No, no. <laughs> yeah. True. I've seen it. So it's the same thing. We, we know when we're reaching out to Yehudim, to Yisraelites and Yehudim, that uh, we start by having to scratch off 80% mm-hmm. because they're either too progressive and too irrational and too devoted to their politics uh, or they're too religious to listen to reason. Uh, and that's a shame. But, you know, Yahweh's not looking for numbers. He's not looking to convert people. He doesn't want to save everyone. Um, he is interested in offering to those who choose to be with him, who accept the terms and conditions of his covenant to attend his Moed Mikre. He's offering... <coughs> to them the opportunity to be part of his family and live with him forever. And that's quite an offer. And all you have to do it is listen to what he says and respond. And should you not know what he said and how to respond, well, start by reading an introduction to God. Go to yadayad.com and begin with an introduction to God. Read those three volumes. Read the eight volumes of Yada Yah. Read the five volumes of Observations. Read the two volumes of Coming Home. Read the three volumes of Babel. Read the four volumes of Questioning Paul. It's a lot, a lot there, a lot to learn. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you want to know how awful religion can be, read Prophet of Dome or Tea with Terrace. 
there are so many wonderful opportunities to shed ignorance and to become aware. It's, you know, we're, we will never, this life, uh, outlive our initial calling, which is exceedingly simple. We are Teruah. Um, this program is about Ruah. This is Yahweh Shofar. May not sound as sweet as does the ram's horn when sounded by my uh, my wife, but that is what we are. It's time for you to listen, to pay attention. Um, it's going to get exceedingly nasty out there, particularly for Jews, and very very quickly. <clears throat> the world is crashing down. They're put in such a bad situation now between uh, Levine and uh, Netanyahu, dividing the country uh, in almost half between progressives and, uh, and fundamentalists. Um, and that is not going to end well. Uh, the world is turned against them. Europe is as anti-Semitic as it's ever been. The United States has no backbone or character anymore, and it's got to be the worst friend any nation ever had. It's on the losing side. Um, Russia has had it with Israel, and Israel has to have a relationship with Russia because of Syria and because of Iran. Uh, Israel is all excited about their Abraham Accords and that there are Arab nations normalizing relationships. But when it comes down to the ensuing battle that is coming, uh, those uh, agreements will mean nothing. And Israel itself, uh, runaway inflation uh, right now. A country is uh, being torn apart and the... Uh, onslaught of Islamic terrorism is greater than ever before. And in Israel, the world is demanding that it give up Judea and Samaria and cede it to the Muslims who wish to destroy it, Um, just as they demanded that they cede Gaza to the Muslims. And look what that got them. And they're facing uh, Hezbollah rockets to the north, uh, um, Iranian drones that can be now deployed out of Syria or Uh, Iraq to the east, a very, very angry Europe and Russia to the north. Um, Mm. It's a, uh, it it really is a vulnerable position. And with anti-Semitism rising and with uh, the growth of the Haredi in Israel being so caustic to the nation, and the rapid growth of progressives in America among Jews and in Israel. This is a frightening time. The world is unraveling, and no people are going to feel the brunt of that more than God's people. And yet, you have the opportunity to live forever. You have the opportunity to know your God. His name is Yahweh. You can engage in the covenant relationship. He is calling you home. You can live with him forever. He will protect you and protect your family. Listen to what he has to say. Go to yadayah.com. Begin reading. Start with an introduction to God. Find out why you, why me. And then 
let's do our utmost in the 10 years we have remaining to make Yom Kippurim the most wonderful celebration of reunion any family has ever experienced. Yeah, that is that is our calling. Kirk uh, um, and uh, Dee, have anything else to add before we say shalom? And, no, just uh, no regrets. No, no regrets for doing this. I mean, what you lose yeah. is nothing compared to what you gain. Yeah. I mean, look at the family we have now. I mean, it is the family we have, and it is the most wonderful family in the universe. It is our family forevermore. And we are looking forward to the return of our father um, here to earth so we can camp out with him. And the return and of our Messiah and King, uh, Dote. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And his herald really? is championing the way, so listen up, folks. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and also the return of Elia, uh, Passover, uh, 2030. Uh, not very. I you're uh, really excited to meet yes. him. Yes, yeah, very excited to see uh, Elia return. I think it's going to be a. He's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be a wonderful experience. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's the most sarcastic of uh, of witnesses. I'm. Doing my my You're level best good, uh, through, through through this to, to up my game. Yeah. I mean, I've been studying your stuff. You're getting really okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, delighted that Yahweh loves sarcasm. Of all the people that he could have called to come back in the last days to give his people one last opportunity, he didn't pick the my favorite prophet, um, the brilliant Yasha Isaiah. He didn't pick the, the man whose empathy for, uh, for God was greater than anyone, Hosha. He didn't pick yeah. the, the man who is the greatest leader the world has ever known uh, in Moshe. Um, he picked Elia, a man who didn't even have a book of his own prophecies to leave with us. But what Elia had is 100% confidence in Yahweh and 100% aversion yeah. to politics and religion. Yeah. And Elia had a sense of humor. Yeah. He, he knew how to confront <laughs> yes. the idiocy of religion and politics with sarcasm. And sarcasm, they've always said, is intellectual humor. Uh, clearly, Yahweh likes it because... He's the one that um, God is calling back. The rabbis keep on saying, you know, okay, you know, Ezekiel's uh, temple is kind of uh, kind of weird, and, and we don't really know uh, what to make of it. And, uh, and we understand that the visions of God that are presented in Ezekiel are whacked out, uh, but it's okay because Elia is coming back, and he'll explain it to us. I bet he will. Yeah, explain it. Explain yeah, it. I bet he will. I bet he will. So, yeah, you may want to go back and, and read you may not want to wait. that whole episode of Ilya and the 850 prophets and uh, uh, that were representatives of the king and the queen and to see how oh, well the religious and political did against Ilya the last time we played this yeah. game and what happened to the advocates they died. of religion and politics yeah. when we played he this game them. last yeah, they died. Yeah. Yep. So um, you may not. Bad move. Yeah. I I'm going to assure you, Elias coming back, and he is coming back on Passover, 
and it will be in 2030. Uh, but uh, if you're religious, to make friends. you aren't going to like what he had to say or has to say. All right, my friends, thank you. I'm sorry for uh, um, failing you uh, for a few minutes there where we dropped back out, but thank you for filling in. Look forward to being with you all uh, next week, and may uh, Yah bless have a wonderful Shabbat. Good night. Yeah. Shalom, shalom, y'all. Night, B. Shabbat shalom. Good night, Kirk. Bye. Mm-hmm.